0: Before Angie gets started with Bible study this week, we have a testimony from Jessica. She went on a mission trip with us to the Philippines a number of years ago. And during that time, there was an outbreak of dengue fever, which is just something you do not want to catch at all. The symptoms are very rough. It can be deadly. But when the symptoms came on Jessica's body, she decided to seek the Lord, seek what He was saying to do, instead of be overcome by the fever.
1: Okay, I think the biggest thing that I want to share with you all is the first day that I got sick, like it was the very last day of ministry. Like we had done all of our ministry in the very last day that we did ministry. It was the last school. I felt something just hit me really hard. and I was like, okay, that's not okay. You know, and so I started getting weaker and weaker and weaker. As I was getting weaker, my fever was getting higher and higher and higher. I just kept crying out to the Lord, and people prayed over me and stuff like that. So I just wanted want to just talk about is how the Lord fought for me to like the, a blanket or something like that because I was so cold. And the Lord said this. He said, "Jessica, he said, don't cling to a blanket, but cling to Me, because whenever you do that, you're accepting the sickness." He said, "You're stronger than this." He spoke that so clear to me. You are stronger than this. This is what He told me to do. And, and God knew how I felt, but He told me to do. He said, "Jessica, get up and worship. Get up and dance." And I was like. Okay. You know, because I, I, I was so weak. Like, I had no strength. But whenever the Lord spoke that to me, it was like he was comforting me, saying, you can do it. It's okay. And so I got up, started I started worshiping, and as much as I could, I started dancing around. The Lord knew I felt bad, but still, like, I had the strength to do that. And so I worshiped the Lord, and then I walked through the house. And there was nobody else there, just, just some Filipino people that were helping and everything, and, t- and they helped take care of me. But I walked through the house, and I am just praying, and I was coming against this stuff, and the Lord just gave me a release and just said, okay. Now go lay back down. I was like, okay. And so I did. I just went to go lay back down, and my fever lifted. It left me. I'm not kidding you guys. The whole time that I was laying there with that fever, God was singing over me, and he was speaking over me and encouraging me, saying, you are strong. This is not you. You are stronger than this. Satan is trying to make himself to be bigger than what he is. Because when we get over there, like everything is like dingy fever, quarantine, big, big, big deal. you know. And so you're going over there, and it can cause you to get into a lot of fear of going, oh, my gosh. Because you're thinking, oh, my God, I could die. I and mean, that's the first thought that you're going. I don't know what this is entailing. I, I don't normally live here. I live in America. How am I going to handle this? So but the Lord just kept saying this is mm-mm, it's not that big because this is what Satan does. Is he he's is he makes something that's so small and he tries to make it so big because he's jealous because he wants to be famous. He wants to exalt himself above God. And God's going, mm-mm. Mm -mm. And that's what, that's what I want to say is that's how the Lord brought me through it. God fought for me. I didn't have to fight. It wasn't anything that I had to just battle, 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 battle. So, so hard. No, it wasn't. It was something that I just had to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to rest in you and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to allow you to fight the battle for me. And that's what the Lord asked us to do is let him fight the battle for us. Let us just rest in him. Anyway, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay.
0: Tonight, I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to kind of monitor this group. Because I need to know something for real. You remember when you were in grade school and you get the record card? Mm-hmm, y'all got them? How many of you, I just, by honesty, I just would like some honesty from this group. How many signed your parents' name once while you were in school? Did, it, did any of y'all? Oh, look, it's heavy down on this hand. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just seeing what kind of kids we're dealing with in this. Oh, okay, yeah, we're sitting in the back row. Thank you for those hands. Yeah. Anybody ever just, you got your mom's signature down or dad's, you know, with those report cards? You know, hard pain presents another whole scenario of reports. You know, around midterms, you know, they ask you for your parents' address so they can mail your parents' progress so they can see as freshmen. Are you going to your classes? Are you passing those tests? You know, we've had some, and, you know, bless your hearts in college. We're always telling you, bring us the wildest kid on campus, the most rebellious kid. Those are the ones we like. Some of our kids, you know, they'll give an an alternate address to home. So mom and dad don't know what their grades are. I mean, it kind of keeps them, because we're like, how would you get through that many semesters with mom and dad still paying? Okay, so report cards. What you did in grade school. What you're going to do at college, your first day of class. But there's another kind of report we're going to talk about tonight. And what do you do with this report? How many of you have heard that Becky Fender song? Have you heard this one? There's a song that we used to sing in church. Whose report shall you believe? The next line says, we shall believe the report of the Lord. I can't sing. The chorus then confirms. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am filled. His report says, I am free. His report says, victory. Y'all heard that? Okay. So you think about the Lord's report. And so there's report cards in grade school. There's report cards at higher pain. But the most important thing that's going to be happening to you is there's going to be a report over your life. And it's going to be going all over your life. Let's see what happens with that report. You know, what's God saying? What is the Lord's report? First of all, you've got to ask yourself, what is the Lord saying to know what his report is? What's he saying to you? You know, in speed reading, almost any course will tell you if you get a well-written in that first sentence, you can tell what the rest of the paragraph's going to say. So, hopefully, if this is a well-written Bible study, this first verse will sell you home. What is the first verse? Okay, report. Okay, opening scripture. This opening scripture basically will give you what you need on the report of the Lord. Y'all remember John ten ten? Let's turn your Bibles. John ten ten. Jesus makes a point here, and basically, when you're asking yourself. Where did this come from? What happened to me? Why is this happening in my life? You can get a typing sheet of paper. Draw a line down the middle. You know, we work at the prison ministry at the state school. I don't know if any of you do. So many of those kids have had their father abuse them. They've had their father do crazy stuff to them. They've had everyone in their family mess with them. And they're asking themselves, why God? What's happening? Where's this coming from? Well, John 10.10 is just the clearest verse. I mean, I like those clear verses in the Bible where I don't have to have 50 commentaries to tell me what it means. It's a clear verse. You can divide a line down a sheet of paper and you can write on one side. The thief comes and he comes to SKD. What does he come to do? He comes to kill kill and destroy. And it's progressive. He messes with you a little bit. He steals and then he kills and then he destroys. Now, I want you to think about something right there. It could have just stopped there. Jesus could have just told you this is the bad news. This is what the devil is always going to be trying to do to your life. This can be the end of the verse. That there's an enemy out there. There's a thief out there. And he's wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. And it could have just ended there. That could have been the end of the verse. But look what he does. He does something where he says, but I am the complete opposite. Everything about me, I mean, this is a verse of comparisons. I mean, this is what makes this verse so fantastic. I mean, and surely you can remember John 10.10 10, when I'm asking you, quizzing you. Sometimes we give away prizes if you remember. So you can remember that this is a complete opposite right here where Jesus says, but I, on the other hand, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. Complete opposite. The word for life and life more abundantly. The word for more abundantly. This word permissio, permission, this is what this means. It means to go way beyond what is necessary. Broadman's commentary said that it goes beyond our wildest dreams. Can you imagine that this verse here is telling you that this word that life and life abundant, it didn't just say I'm going to just give you life where you exist, which would be good, eternal life. But he said I'm going to give you abundance beyond anything that you can think about. It's super added to life, super charged up life, life with an advantage to it. The Broadman went on to say there's a word that's with it more abundantly. The Eccleson means that it keeps on. It repeats itself. Have you ever had this thought of, oh, God was good to me this once, but I don't want to overdo it? Or I don't want to pray. And you just kind of feel this, well, I'm infringing on it. You're infringing on the Almighty, the Omnipotent. I mean, you just look at I mean, fly somewhere, somewhere on this earth. And look how many people he has to answer all their prayers. I mean, it's amazing the conception of the universe. And that God says here that he's committed not only to giving you life and life abundantly, but it's a continual sense. He's adding to it. He's giving it dimension. He's going in all different directions. He's constantly adding beyond your wildest dreams. It's a repetitive thing that keeps on going and going, and going, in your life. You know, you think of the word gospel, and it means it's preaching the, what is it? Good news. news. If you look up the word, it means the first part of gospel is ooh, which means good, anglion, which means message. It's the good message. So, as Christians, we're called to preach the good news. One man remarked once, he goes, how do people take the good news and preach it back? So many people can take the Bible and you're like, I don't want to be in church. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And you want to get up and get out. You know, some people say we look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. You know, we look sour. How can we have, that's why the book's called The Most Exciting Life God Can Give You. God has exciting plans for you. I think this generation understands what God is doing. That it's good news that he has for you. Look in 2 Corinthians 1.20 how many of you know that there are promises in the Bible, right? Does anybody know the count that most theologians agree with? How many count? Yeah, come on, come on. Over 7,000 promises in the Bible, right? Someone, before I went to the Philippines, came to me and said, I bought this Bible for myself at Hastings, but I feel like I'm supposed to give it to you. And when I looked at the Bible, it was really unique. It took... It just took the whole Bible and it turned every scripture verse into a promise. And I thought, can you do that? Can you take every verse in the Bible and say, this is a promise to my life? But look at how this verse states it, 2 Corinthians 1.20. Paul says, look at all the promises they are. And look how he states this. He says, they're yes and they're amen. Man, that's incredible to me that, things, that you can grab a promise... And God can literally walk you out of a situation in your life with a promise. I love saying one word from God can change your life forever. One word. You just got to get one word. You know, you can find one word in that Bible. Have you ever had that happen to you where you just see a word and it makes sense to you and you think, that has my name on it? Mm -hmm. Or in your devotions that a Bible verse just stands up on the page And you're like, wow, my Bible has a neon light to it. (laughs) I mean, it's just its like it comes alive to you. These are what the promises are. They're in there. The promises for your life, you've got to say this to yourself, the promises are yes and they're amen to me. They're my promises. He's not telling you. You can't impose upon the, the goodness of God. I mean, he is altogether good. I mean, when he chose to define himself, he said, God is love. The goodness of God. What he does to you, one word will walk you out of it. I don't know if any of y'all know Patrick. Some of y'all do. His mother was in the Hare Krishna cult. And if any of you are from Dallas, I don't know if you've read about this in the newspaper, but from age, I'm going to think, I think from four to seven, her parents from Canada put her in there. If you've ever read what they did to those children, I mean, they're in a lot of investigation because several people were murdered. And the Hare Krishna cult doesn't believe that you can eat anything that is an animal because they believe you're kin to it. So they would tell all the little children, those are meat eaters out there. They would serve the kids food on the floor. I mean, the cockroaches got into the thing. They told them they were raisins because they weren't supposed to be eating them. They would physically abuse the kids for punishment. And they were sexually abused the kids. Now, this whole cult was being studied for like 400 of these people. They put a lawsuit against them and they were going to break it. This is Patrick's mother that was in this. Now, it's interesting. Her life was all messed up, and you can imagine. I mean, once somebody's been abused, a lot of times they'll seek to harm themselves. So they had her arranged marriage at age 13. And so you can imagine she had several children young. And she just got where she couldn't take it. There was so much abuse in her life. So she was in a hotel one night, and she decided with the kids in the room, I'm going to end it. Well, on the way to the hotel, she had gotten pulled over by a cop, and the cop had said to her, your registration's out. You need to get a new one, and it's overdue. Now, I'm going to ticket you, and then he said, no, I'm going to give you some grace because you're only five days over. Well, Bridget had never been to school because they had them in that little cult thing. She said she learned how to Read listening to the radio. So she asked the cop, what's Grace? Looked at her and he goes, oh, Grace. He goes, that's when you get something you don't deserve. And she goes, oh, okay. And so she was real happy about that. Well, she went to the hotel that night. She started taking all this pain medicine. She went into this delirious state. She'd taken enough to overdose. And she said there was like a battle going on for her, her soul. She was telling us about the dream. She came out of the dream. And her whole religion had been built on works righteousness. You had to do certain things good. You had to say so many mantras. You had to do all this stuff, and that made you righteous. She opened the dresser, pulled out a Bible. This is a yay for Gideon Bibles. Open it. It falls open to the verse Ephesians 2, 7 through 8. You have not been saved by works that you have done but by grace you have been saved. And not of yourself, but... And she goes, grace! Grace! I've heard that. You know how you hear a word twice in one day, and you're like, wow! <laughs> and she goes, I know what that means. It's not by works. It's not something that I've done. Do you realize that one word walked Bridget out of that stupor, out of that suicide attempt, and she became the only person saved out of 400 and something Harry Krishnas in that school? Now there's two. She led someone to the Lord. They call her that Bible-thumping Baptist from Brownwood. That's what they used to call her on the Internet. It's interesting that one word can change your life. You know, if you're fighting something, if you're struggling against something, I would challenge you, get you a verse. You know, I always listen to the mean tapes. If I have a problem with offenses, I'll get the tape on offenses, and I'll listen to it over and over and over again until I get that word down on the inside of me. Or I think of that verse, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I think, what does that mean? That means weapons are being formed against me. I may have something point me in the face, but that weapon will not prosper. So you start thinking, you start meditating on verses. You know the most dangerous verses to you in the Bible are? The ones you're most familiar with? Because you don't re-look at them. You don't re-say, what do they have to say to me? I know that verse. How many of y'all did that? I know John 10.10. Oh, I've heard this before. You know, God will give you a fresh, because his word is living and active, he'll give you a fresh revelation. One word. Whose report? What kind of report are you going to believe? Now look at this verse in Matthew 11, verse 4. John starts having doubts. Did you know before you go on a mission trip, you'll start doubting? Should I go? You'll have horrible doubts. Everything in your head will tell you, this is the wrong thing for me to do. Usually, with God's will, you're going to have at least one nervous breakdown over God's will. John the Baptist, I mean, he had, I mean, this guy was a fiery prophet, but suddenly he had a lot of doubts. He comes and he says, Hey, are you the one, or is there someone coming after you? Now, I want you to think for a minute. How could have Jesus have answered that question? You know, you think through how Jesus could have responded to that thing. He could have said, John, he goes, look at your birth certificate. He goes, you were a miracle. I was a miracle. You know, we were born. I mean, look at all the difference. You know, get out the pictures of Elizabeth and Mary together when we were young. He could have said, okay, John, think about apologetics. Remember, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He could have said to him, well, look what the scriptures say. He could have said, John, Look at this. I am who I say I am. How dare you doubt? Or a kid laid hands on him and rebuke the doubt. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways. If you think about what Jesus could have said at this moment. You know what Jesus does to him? Look at what he says in verse 4. He said, John, I'm going to swallow you with good news. His answer to John. You know, and you think about John. John was the closest person to him in ministry. He was the closest man that he had next to him, especially at this point in John's life. He's going to tell him exactly the truth. (coughs) Look what he says to him. He says, John, to the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing. He said, the dead are raised. He said, the poor have the gospel. He said, John, we're preaching to the poor. He said, John, don't stumble over me. Isn't it interesting that what Jesus reached for was good news? You know, sometimes I think we try to make it an intellectual gospel. We try to make it a, a gospel of idealism. where well, we don't do anything. But look what Jesus did. He said, John, look at what's happening around you. Did you know the gospel should have fruit in your life? It should be something happening. Look at the good news to it. You know, I think sometimes that's why Jesus was always saying, man, look at the good news. Everybody in the whole village was healed. Write down Acts ten thirty eight and look it up later. That he just always was sending a good report out. He sent him a good report. You know what I'm going to tell you in school? There's going to come times you're going to just need a good report. I love the way that Jesus does this. That when John was at the crisis in his faith, he just sent something good. He sent good news just washing over him. Y'all, there's times like, I just need to hear something good. I need you to bring me some good news. And you see this here, that that's what Jesus did to him. It's just letting the good news come. Sometimes, I want you to just think, I'm going to just let good news wash over me. That's what the Bible is. That's what promises in the Bible are. I'm going to just let them wash over my life. I'm going to let the good news happen inside of me. If you have not figured out that the gospel is good news to you, if you have not figured out, it's not a a book of rules or regulation. You know what the gospel is about? It's about falling in love. You know what? It is so much fun when you're in love to do something good for somebody. I mean, you can't do enough. And the gospel is that that kind of news. It's good news of falling in love. I'll tell you something interesting that happened to me on this trip. In all the years of going on mission trips, I've never had it happen this strong. But the whole trip, God kept doing kind things for me. I mean, it was so many. I I was like I was keeping a journal of, I cannot believe all the kind things God keeps doing for me on this trip. If I told you what they were, you'd get jealous. I mean, they were ridiculously kind. I mean, I'm I'm like, God, we're living a ridiculous kind of life. It's just ridiculous. I mean, there's no way all this stuff could work out and schedule and work this out. And God was just being crazy, ridiculous kind. You know what it made me want to do? It made me want to serve him more. I mean, it made me want to say, man, I I can't wait to serve you. It's just like you can get into this relationship with God where he just covers you with good news. Y'all, we could have had any kind of God. I mean, we didn't choose what kind of God we had. The God who said, let there be light, we didn't know what kind of nature he would have. Man, I am so glad that God is good, that when he came to earth, he healed those that were broken. He healed the brokenhearted. He He cured the blind eyes. I'm so glad he's a good God. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit, when he's referred to, that his other name, Paraclete, doesn't mean tormentor or torturer, but it means comforter. Man, it's so good to realize that God is altogether good. And the more you get to know him, the more you grow to know him, the more you'll understand that God is altogether good that he's sending good news. And I just really felt like, this is the the verse that I kept getting for y'all over and over, there's going to be times in the semester you're going to just need good news to come over you. When you're doubting, when your mind's cracking, when you're thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to make this payment. Man, I don't know what I'm going to do with this with my parents. You're just going to say, God, I thank you that you're altogether good and just have the goodness of God rush over you. Man, it it is literally something he does. Man, I love to think about Jesus, that what he answered to John was, John, he said, listen to the report I have. The report of the Lord is good things are happening. The kingdom is advancing. Good things are going on. At the same time, good things are going on, like John 10.10, you've got the verse where you come in Psalm 112, 7, and at the whole time, it's warring for your head. Look at Psalm 112, verse 7. And if you don't have this happening to you, you are, we are totally different. Psalm 112, verse 7. It says, I will not fear bad news. I will not fear evil tidings. I will not fear an evil report. Because my heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Have you ever been like me where you just feel bad news fighting for you? I mean, you just have calamity after calamity after calamity. They try to name you Jane. You think the Murphy's Law was written for you. And you just have this evil report coming. Y'all, when I start being kicked two and three times, I'm like, "Oop! I've got to pay attention. This is not by accident. I will not fear evil tidings. Fear will not be a part of my life. Have you ever had that moment of time of thinking, yeah, I'm going to walk into my house one of these days, and all my parents are going to be murdered. You know, you just start having these horrible news pictures in your head. Or you get a phone call in the middle of the night and you think, it's a car wreck. You know, just, it's bad news. You know what I sometimes do? I go in, I take my phone, and I say, Lord, I thank you. I will not fear evil tidings. I thank you, Lord. I will not fear evil tidings. My heart is steadfast. I'm not going to go crazy on the inside. I bless this phone that I'm going to get good news. This is not, I'm going to do warfare. You know what I think prayer means? It's preventative. Sometimes we pray after we've already been crashed. I'm saying prayer is praying preventatively. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I will not fear bad news. You know, my fear of seeing Jessica, she's pasty white. Her eyes are sunken in her head. She's feverish. I don't even want to measure it. You know, you picture her dead in a casket. And you're thinking, you know, you're just sitting there thinking, these are bad visions. (laughs) And you just go, I will not fear evil tidings of just saying, we took 25, we brought 20 home. You know, you don't fear evil tidings. No, I'm joking. Okay, but I'm telling you, you laugh, but you know what? We won't verbalize what we're fearing. You know, I heard Jessica saying her own testimony. I mean, you're picturing your funeral. You're seeing how bad everybody's going to cry and seeing who loves you and who's showing up. I mean, you know, you've got two reports going through your head of just saying I'm going to be a young martyr or in the, I'm going to walk out of this that God will give me the grace. There's two reports fighting for you at all times. You see Jesus and he said, the sick are healed. Y'all, you know, they said that there's no, what are those little words, like these determiners? The that verse actually says in Matthew eleven four 4 and so Luke seven twenty two, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the deaf are here it's just it's beautiful. It's like he was making a kind of statement of just saying, This is how it is, and he just rattled it off. I mean, he was just using two words in the original Greek. It's just a it's a noun and a verb. And that's how he's doing life. That's how he's walking us through it. You know, continually, if you get bad news, I'm challenging you saying, you know, the gospel is good news. Lord, I think you're gonna send good news. Get you a prayer partner, get someone to pray with you. Lord, I thank you. That I have a good report. All right, let's talk a minute about the difference between a good report and a bad report. You know why we may be mixed up on this? Because we don't know what a good report is. Okay, in Exodus 23.1, you don't have to look this one up, but it just says, you shall not bear a bad report, a false report. We had someone give a testimony, and they said that they stole from the convenience store they worked at. And not only did they steal, but there was this little weakly, wimpy sort of guy there, and she went and told her boss when the heat got a little down. I saw him take it. That is a bad report, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> that is, but you know what? I see it done in the church, where people will give a false report. They might not say I saw him steal, but they'll leave something important out that makes the person make sense, that clarifies it. And really check yourself. I'm not going to give a bad report. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to give a false report. You get tempted. You get in places. You knock the other sorority. You do something. (laughs) No, I'm joking. You give an evil report. What does a bad report look like? Okay, let's think about What does a bad report look like? Would you say a bad report is it's evil, you say something false? So, therefore, it makes a good report be something factual, right, honest, would you agree, yeah. fair minded represents both sides, right? I, I would say that's a good report. those are good words. I want you to turn in your bibles to numbers thirteen thirty two and this scripture blew me away. kaboom out of the water, battleship torpedoed numbers. what is it? okay, if a bad report, we can figure out what a bad report is. What is a bad report? What makes a bad report according to Numbers 13, 27? Okay, these were God-appointed people, spies. I love spies. Man, God make you a spy in the kingdom of heaven? That's a fun occupation. Okay, make me a smuggler through the ranks. Let me do something. Okay, Numbers 13, these are God-appointed spies. And they come back and they say, We went into the land, which you sent us. We spied out the land. It's a 40-day mission impossible experience. They returned with pomegranates and figs and a cluster of grapes. They brought evidence back. They didn't take photos. I mean, they brought grapes back so big that nobody thought they were exaggerating. They were so big they had to put a pole between them and carry one stalk of grapes. And they described Canaan as a land of milk and honey. And then they said, nevertheless... The people there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And they said, in fact, there are giants that live there that are so big, it makes us look like we're this small grasshoppers compared to the size of these giants. Now, let me ask you was that a factual report? Pretty much. Would you all agree that's factual? Here's the grapes, here's the size. They have fortified cities. We didn't know it was going to be occupied. I would say that it was an honest report. I would say they represented both sides fairly. Think about it. The enemy comes steal, kill, and destroy. Come to have life. They said, yes, it's good. It has milk and honey. But on the other hand, I'm looking at this verse and I'm in shock. Intelligence gathering in the kingdom of heaven is not enough to please God. Just giving a factual report, just gathering the facts, just being fair, does not please God. I mean, this makes me want to pull my hair out. Look at this: Numbers thirteen thirty-two. These guys, what they said, was called evil. An evil report. Look in I'm not making this up. Look in Numbers fourteen thirty-six. It was called an evil report. Ten guys gave an evil report. Two guys gave a good report. 37 is worse. Don't even read that one. They gave an evil report and they were all wiped out. <laughs> you know, Old Testament pretty interesting. Okay. What makes the difference between a good report and an evil report? Y'all, you know, we classify a good report fair, factual, intelligence gathering. Look in Numbers 14, verse 1. It says the people started crying. Boo-hoo! Boo-hoo! Woe is me! I, I got a bad report and I got a good report. I don't know which one to believe. I, something was said bad over me, something was said good. And they cried themselves to sleep that night. They were crying. Are you going to miss God's promises and what he has for you and spend your nights crying yourself to sleep? You know what I'm seeing by this? A good report is not necessarily factual. A good report is a report of faith. A good report is where you go beyond the facts. You don't deny the facts. But you say God is greater than anything that I see. Do you see the difference? They were comparing themselves to their situation. They were comparing their finances to their problem. They were comparing their lack to what was going against them. The other two men compared the problem to their God. makes all the difference. And y'all, that is so easy to do. Man, when I looked at this, I thought, oh my gosh. I thought, I wasn't defining good right. I was just thinking fair was good. Y'all, the New Testament didn't even get through harping on it. Look in Romans 10, verse 16. There's verses all over the New Testament. They're still mad about that report in the New Testament. But in Romans 10, 16, uh, (laughs) this one's funny. Paul says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. It says, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Who has believed our message? And Paul asked in the next verse, this is funny. Well, were they deaf? Were they hard of hearing? Is that why? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 they could hear. you do you know what the key word here is? It's not not hearing the report. The key word here is not giving a good report. The key word is who has believed. You've got to put your believer on it. You've got to put your faith on it. You've got to say, if the plans that I have for my life are possible, they're probably not God. It's only till you get to the realm of the impossible have you really engaged God. It's only to the point that your back's against the wall and you're thinking, oh, there's no way. I'm going to get it. (laughs) And you just see, and God enters in at the point of the impossible. I mean, that's amazing to me. Is there someone that I've been listening to and believing rather than God? Have I been living in fear in some areas of my life where God has called me to walk in courage? Am I comparing myself to a bad situation? Do I feel like a grasshopper in God's army? Did you know sometimes you can see yourself too small in the army of God, and that's what gets you in trouble? The report. Everyone has two wars fighting over you. You know, in Genesis 48, 15 through 16... And if you read the comparison, just write these verses down. Genesis 48, 15 through 16, because sometime we're going to do a whole lesson over them. And Genesis 47 through 9, Jacob gives two reports about his life. One report Jacob said is, The God has been my shepherd all my life. He's fed me all my life, and the angel of the Lord has redeemed me. Have you ever gone up to an old person and asked them, How are you doing? And then after they're telling you about every acre you're sitting there going, sorry, back up. <laughs> I didn't really mean to ask how you're doing. Uh, do y'all have hypochondriacs on campus? When, when we lived here, there were always a few in here. Some of them even made up their, yeah, there were some unusual people. And you would ask them, how are you? And it was like, how long do you have for the bad news? And it, y'all, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, what was that, test? was that a testimony? I thought I heard in chapel, oh my gosh, they killed everybody in the family, their wife. I mean, it's nothing like what the Bible calls a testimony. You're like, that was hideous. We were in church Sunday, and it was just, and and I was like, that testimony was not edifying. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's what, I know, he was, that's what he was. Thank you, we have a mercy person. He was saying that (laughs) the church, and he loved Brownwood, and I love that man, and don't you dare tell him, because were great friends but it was just an unusual report <laughs> okay it reminds me of genesis 47 9 pharaoh makes the mistake of asking jacob take up the offer. no i'm sorry how are you doing and watch what jacob says to him few and evil have been the years of my life and it's been a long life <laughs> i mean look at the difference between that one do you realize over your life right now your life can go in one or two directions did you know eighteen through twenty two when you're in college are the four most important years of your life? You're gonna be making ever major decision? You're gonna be going in one of two directions. What version is your life gonna be one where the devil stole? Where he kills, steal, and destroy? Or is your life gonna be one where God gives you life and life abundantly? We're gonna end with the last verse. Second Chronicles sixteen twelve. Oaza was a king. Now, if this one offends you, I'm sorry. It offends me too. Okay. Always is in trouble. He's dying. Y'all, it's one thing to die, but it's awful to die just because you your feet hurt. I mean, die of something noble. Get your head shot. Get, don't die of a foot wound. In the Philippines, she had this wound that was decaying. It had blisters. And I was like, don't die because of your foot rotting off. But It's just a terrible way to die. Just There's no glory to it. Y'all read those stupid deaths, haven't you, where the elephant in the zoo kind of had diarrhea on the guy that was his zookeeper and he buried in it. Y'all nobody is gonna take your death seriously in your family. I mean for years they're gonna say grandpa died under a stack. Yeah I mean, it's just there's no glory in that. Y'all haven't I read mean, that it really happened to him. It ruined the family. It's terrible. I felt for the man. Smelt for the man. I mean that was a bad way to die. This guy had a foot problem. And he was dying of a foot problem. It took him two years to die. And it says he got in a lot of trouble with God. Now, don't get mad at me over this. Okay, it's okay. It's the first Bible. Say, we'll thin you out. Okay, he had a foot problem. And he said, and God was upset with him because he went to the witches instead of God for his healing, Right? is that what that verse is? He went to the pagans. He went to the unbelievers. This, this king, this king who had once served God, he was like King Saul. He went to the witches, to a witch healer to get healed, right? Oh, look at this verse. It's horrible. He did not seek the Lord, but instead he sought the physicians. Yeah, it's horrible. Thank you for that gasp. Okay, you're thinking, oh my gosh, he's not pro-doctors. She's not pro-medicine. That's why she did that to Jessica. (laughs) Okay, I'll relieve you. So so what on earth does this verse mean? You know, I believe that doctors are God's gift from heaven. Most of us would be dead if we didn't have them. But can we dare say, can we take the liberty of saying that God wants us to go to him first and not a human resource? you know how tempting that is to run to everybody first when a problem happens? You get on the phone, text, you start calling. I mean, it's just like, pray, and you make it spiritual. But we don't go to God first. I mean, look at this verse. He did not seek the Lord. And it doesn't say, but he went to the witches. It said he just went to the doctors. Y'all, this is the only verse that's like this, where it talks about that just going to a human resource first gets us in trouble. Y'all, I was in a class on studying how to study. It was on research. And so all these jokes were going on, and they were talking about the fact that their primary sources that you write your papers with, they're secondary sources and they tertiary sources. You know what those are? Tertiary are just a collection of secondary sources, right? Good, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so the joke was, in the class, they started talking about the fact that we wrote our papers, and we didn't make the Bible as part of our bibliography. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, did I, did I credit my NAS? Did I put my Bible down? Was it in my bibliography? Oh, my gosh, I only credited second sources. I'm going to be struck down. I went to the human, you know, and you're thinking all these thoughts. What did I turn in on that paper? So we kept going along in, in, in class, and I was trying to remember what I did. And then some jokes started happening. I just made a joke in front of the class. I just go, hey, that was a secondary source that you cited. And the professor really laughed, he thought that was funny. But there was a few minutes later, he stood up, right after he told this on secondary sources and primary sources, he stood up and he said, a person in my family, an eight-year-old, was diagnosed, and he said this long medical name. And he said, the minute we got that diagnosis from the doctor, we ran to the internet, and he said, my daughter lives in a different city. And he said, we started searching for it, we found the diagnosis, we found the types of treatment, we found the support groups. And he said, The outstanding thing was, he said, We found one site that was extremely helpful. And he said, Both my daughter and I found the same site. And he goes, That's good research. And all of a sudden, I went, That's a secondary source. And y'all, the Spirit of the Lord convicted me. I'm not throwing stones. How many times? You get a, a report, and the first thing you do is run to the Internet, and you go, what are the symptoms? Three out of four. What are the not curable? What are the, and you go, y'all, I was horrified. I mean, we had just talked about research and realize it is so easy. Y'all, I don't think it's easy. Are you like me? There's a pull towards my computer. There's a gravitational force. I'm being sucked into it. I want to run to it. I pay my email homage every day, two to three hours. And you feel yourself sucked into that universal knowledge that's in Wikipedia that sits there waiting for us to find it. And you look at these verses and you say, whose report are you going to believe? Whose source? Is this Old Testament verse still true that God desires us to seek Him first? First? that I'm pro-doctors and I'm pro-medicine in a position number two. They only play a secondary role in my life, though. I've got to hear God. A good doctor will tell you, I'm not the one that cures you. It's God. I'm going to end with this. Just like the children of Israel, you can be information gathering, you can be getting facts, and you can call it fair, but the Bible calls that an evil report. Y'all, what's in your hand is the good report. It's the thing that can walk you out of any disaster. Y'all, we have 2,000 years since Christ of great testimonies versus walking people out of horrible situations. When I was a little girl, this is terrible, but I didn't want my parents to know I was spiritual. I don't know if any of you had these problems. I don't know if I just didn't want to give them pleasure or what. But at night I would sneak into their library of books, and I would get out books and I would read them. I wasn't like Jesus at age 12 who was bold enough to tell his parents, i got to be about my father's business, <laughs> you know. I'm lost for three days. I was a secret Christian, always reluctant. Well, one night I got out this book and I read this story. And to this day, we've still been researching it for the military. But what happened was this lady had been praying Psalm 91 over her soldier son for the whole World War II. And she kept praying and praying and praying and believing the Lord. Lord, I thank you that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, in him who I am trusting. you know the great promise in there, it's a combat scripture, a thousand may fall by my side, ten thousand by my right hand, he'll not approach him. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that over him during World War II. And sure enough, in the middle of of the war, I'm trying to remember back on the story, but you know, have you seen like in the movie where, where suddenly the chaplain's car comes and, and they get out of the car and they start coming towards the house and you know what that means. It's just like in a movie, you can just feel yourself going through those emotions of, oh my God. You know, it's the biggest fear, y'all. Sure enough, they come to the door. They've got the flag. They've got his dog tags. They've got a letter from the United States government saying, we wish a thank you for the greatest sacrifice that a mother Family can give for this country that your son was killed such a such battle here's the dog tags I mean that mom she went in she started crying just like the children of Israel I mean just crying out gnashing and then it turned from crying to anger and she was like God I don't understand I prayed that birth I claimed it over him ah whatever and she was like and suddenly something happened after she said like I can't remember how long she said that she went through this emotional craziness of just screaming out to God. And sometimes, you know, God, he lets you work it out with him. You know, I think when we start pushing that in and being fake, that's not what it is. But she just, she let off. And then something rose up in this woman. And she opened her Bible to Psalm 91. She said, can I read this to you again and remind you what it says? And she read Psalm 91 to God and she laid the letter beside it and she said, I cannot believe both. I cannot. One's true and one's a lie, And I'm going to make up my mind which I believe. And people think, yeah. And at that moment in time, she said, I cannot believe both. And at the end, she said, God, in the face of foolishness and all this stuff, I choose to believe that what I've said this whole time and prayed over him is the truth. And at this point, I'm going to say what C.S. Lewis wrote in Screwtape Letters. What is prayer? How does it work? Why does God, I mean, how does prayer affect and change things? You know, in his Screwtape Letters, he said, somehow prayer enters off the timeline, because we're in the time zone, into the line of no time, into where God lives of the eternal now. So when you pray, it affects things. There's no time with God. There's no space. He knows ahead of time what you're going to pray. And prayer somehow changed. Something happened. I cannot explain it. The best theologians in the world have wrestled with what exactly is prayer. I don't know, but God tells us to do it. And she ended her prayer. She dried her tears. She went about her business. I'm not going to receive what they have to say. Maybe it's you go over the edge. You really think God's telling the truth. I don't know. They came back to her. They said, "We want to tell you, we have the biggest apology we can make. The dog tags got switched. It wasn't your son." And I never forgot that story as a kid. Can I explain it? Can I explain prayer? Can I explain a scene? There's times in our life where we feel like that same thing is fighting over your life, where we're part of these screaming, "It's gonna be a failure. You're gonna be a failure. It's not gonna work out. Everything's turned against you. You're bent, and you feel everything turning." And you say to yourself, whose report am I going to believe? The report of the Lord, it stands there. You've got to get a verse. You've got to find what God says to it. You just say, God, cover me with good news. I'm not going to fear evil tidings because you yourself are with me. Lord, I thank you for the good news that the gospel is truly good. Amen.